starting lineup of your favorite show and producer, 5'11", from Blanchester, the cow killer, Casey McAllister, and comic engineer, standing at 4'8", the pride of the west side, Elliot Rearing. All right. Thank the heavens above. They gave us something to talk about yesterday. Got off the air right around noon. And what happens? Chris Holtman gets fired, and then all the old rumblings come marching right down the street. Right here in our city. We'll talk about that and more. This is Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Trace Fowler, joined by Elliot Rearing and Casey McAllister, as always. Mm. And we have a host of topics to get to. One at the top of the list. Topic A, Chris Holtman fired at Ohio State. Holtman obviously had his uh, roller coaster run at Ohio State. Things looked like they were on the up and up at one point, and then the wheels, proverbial, fell completely off. So Ohio State looks to go in a different direction. Where do they look to go? And it seems to me the crazy thing is all the names that are on the list, none of them seem to want it based off their performances of late. We'll get into that. We got Paul Fritschner, Big League Paul. He comes on at 1030. And then right after that, for those that love college basketball, probably your show here in the first hour will end the hour with Rocco Miller. And he's going to do some bracketology. And I have some hard-hitting questions about the Mountain West. You know, like I said, good buddy of mine, partner here, Sean Spurlock. He kind of tipped me off on this last week. Said, you know what? I see all these Mountain West teams in here, and you got guys like, you know, Xavier and even UC who have arguably just as good of wins, if not better wins. Yeah, their record might not look as good, but that's because of who they're playing. Mountain West teams are easily in. The local teams are on the bubble, if not out. Yet when you look at the resumes, you scratch your head. So we'll talk about that. Right around the 11 o'clock hour, we'll get into some Reds talk, maybe mix in some calls towards the end of the show. There's a scapegoat out in San Francisco. We'll see if we can get to that. But as always, I want to start off with one thing. Mm. Obviously, there was big news yesterday. We all seen what the news was. It's been on all over the network channels. And I just want to say this before we get started. I'm not going to delve into that conversation significantly because most people, they, they, they look for this show to be an escape from life, more or less. They want to talk about things that are interesting and fun. If you want to con, you know, convulge yourself and put yourself and, and have conversations about that that are meaningful, certainly so. It's important. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not trying to act like it doesn't exist. But at the same time, this show in and of itself is meant to try to be a positive booster in people's lives. And I don't think sitting around and debating something that really has been debated at nauseum for the last 10 years in our country is really going to do a whole lot. So again, I'm not trying to be insensitive to the situation, but it's a sports talk show. Yes, there was a parade that was surrounded by sports, but the events that everybody wants to talk about, quite frankly, I don't think revolve around sports, so we're not going to talk about it. Um, so the list of topics are at the bottom of the screen. The call-in number is there, but to be very clear, we're going to do call-ins towards the end of the show, and um, yeah, we'll see where this takes us. But, you got something to add, Elliot? 
Maybe? No? Do you want me to add, do you want me to add on the serious talk or no? No, no. If you would like to say something, you can. I know you it asked looks... me before the show if we were going to talk about it. Yeah. I had just said what I just said now. It's a very serious thing. Um, but I was just going to add that the that the twelve. Uh, unfortunately, one person did die, but tw the twelve, I believe, children who were put into the hospital, I believe, they're all going to make a full recovery. That's great. That's okay. Good. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's pretty somber. Um, pretty somber. All right. The other news of, of note, obviously, that's probably the biggest news of the day, in my opinion, at least for local sports, is what's going to happen at Ohio State. And the reason for that is, is who's the replacement? Because the biggest names that are on this list, and there's some big names that are outside the two that I'm about to mention, are Wes Miller and is Sean Miller. And the question ultimately comes... You have half the fan base on one side of the aisle, which is obviously Cincinnati. Sean Miller's relatively beloved at Xavier because of his previous history. Certainly, if, if Sean Miller had, was taking over the reins at Xavier for the very first time, perhaps there would be a little bit of a different mantra around the program. But I think all understand where Sean Miller um, stands at Xavier. And Sean Miller, for, for all intents and purposes, has been an unbelievable coach from his entire time since he's been a head coach. Some might scoff at what he did at Arizona, but he, he didn't, you know, he had a relatively decent run of Arizona, and unfortunately for him, he got into the, the issues of, of paying players and all of that, and that kind of got him in some muddy waters and ultimately led to the demise at his time with the Wildcats. But the question I have, more or less, is this. I would make the argument that no matter what happens at Ohio State between the two head coaches in town. It's the same thing that I said yesterday about the draft. Sometimes the biggest blessings are, are what you think is a curse at the beginning. And I'm not suggesting if Wes Miller were to leave or if Sean Miller were to leave, that's 100% what's best. But what I am saying is I will paint out a scenario right now that you will hypothetically think maybe it would end up being better for our school if you were a Xavier and or a UC fan if either of those two left. Sean Miller leaves. There's no question that Chris Mack is the head coach at Xavier. He just made reference a couple days ago that he wants to get back into coaching. He misses coaching. He had an unbelievable tenure at, at, at Xavier. Obviously went to Louisville. And very similar to what happened with Sean Miller happened to Chris Mack. There was turmoil outside of the program, or when I say outside, outside of the confines of the actual basketball court. And Xavier finds themselves in a position where they can reach back into the old pot of he old head coaches and pluck one back that was great at one time and bring them back into a program where everybody trusts everybody. And if Wes Miller were to leave, I think there would be a resounding excitement around the program if Pat Kelsey was named the head coach at the University of Cincinnati. Hmm. You obviously follow basketball quite a bit, Elliot. I do. Am I, am I overstating the idea that either way, no matter what happens at Xavier and or, the, or Cincinnati, you could make the case or argument that they would be in just as good a position as they would be now with their new head coach? You're, you're saying that if either one of them left, they'd be in a very similar situation than what they are in. That's what you're saying. Just so I'm, just so I'm clear. 
I'm saying that they would not be, from a perception standpoint, exactly what you just said. They would not be that far off the off of where the perception of the program would be. No. I think Xavier would be pretty far off. I think losing Sean Miller would be brutal. Sean Miller is one of the best coaches in college basketball, and he's proven it, and he recruits well, and he gets guys from the, from the transfer portal. Uh, I, all the hype surrounding Xavier over the past couple of seasons has been because of Sean Miller. Uh, it hasn't necessarily been because of the play on the court. So, And they've, and they've been good. I, I'm not going to say they haven't been good because Sean Miller is their coach. All of that ties in. I think if they lose Sean Miller, I think they're in, uh, in, a, in a reset period, and I don't know how long that lasts. You see, I would agree with you. If we lose West Miller tomorrow, again, I, know, I don't want it. I don't hope for it. I think West Miller is the guy. If we, if we were to lose West Miller, I think UC can, can pretty much uh, get back to even par. I think that's we're, we're we're starting to get back to even par right now. Do you if, for, we, got, if we got a new head do, coach? Does, does, do, do people forget what Chris Mack did at Xavier? I mean, they they had the best team in my at least I, again. Yeah, no. I did not see I've not seen Xavier play throughout the history. But Chris Mack's last year, yes, they they you know whatever you get the perfect like the crap the bed they they lost. I get it, but they were the one seed. They were, they were the one seed. They were damn good. You could argue they were one of the best teams that I've seen Xavier have ever. Yeah. So to sit here and suggest that Chris Mack is, is that significant of a downgrade over Sean Miller, you know, ultimately I, I get the concept, but my point is, is that I don't think it's as far off as people would put it this way. Were people for, were if, people if upset? Op- were people upset that they, that they had Chris Mack instead of Sean Miller when Chris Mack was the coach at Xavier at any point, if Chris Mack was welcomed back, I think it's a different story. I, but I thought, I thought we were speaking in generality. I thought we were speaking. If you lose Sean Miller, could you go out and get a guy like Chris Mack? Yeah. And if that's the case, then they're right back to where they were. I think I think Chris Mack's a great head coach. I, again, there's there's like, but if if I'm looking at as a UC fan, if I lose Wes Miller, I agree with you that I think I could find somebody that can produce uh, similar outcomes that Wes has done over the past several years. I, I that's not lost on me. I think Sean Miller's a damn good head coach though, and I think you lose something when you lose Sean Miller. I don't know what you lose, but you lose something. Well, I, I'm not suggesting that you don't lose something with Sean Miller, and I'm not suggesting that Chris Mack's a better coach than Sean Miller. I, I'm just saying that it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a unique situation at Xavier where I think no matter what happens, you still find yourself in a position of familiarity. Let and me you, ask you, and let me... you find yourself in a position where you, I think you would trust the guy that you put in charge. You can say whatever you want about when you get a new head coach for anybody, any program or a higher-level program at that, that there is obviously, if you're a higher-level program, or a good program or a program that most coaches would seek to want to go to, that you're going to have some sense of, of belief that they're going to get the job done. But that doesn't always happen. Because, because ultimately, sometimes great coaches go to new programs and it doesn't really work out because of if just unique culture fit. So I'm saying that Chris Mack has been at Xavier, been successful at Xavier. You aren't going to find that more often than not. I think Chris Mack's the one exception to that. I think other than Chris Mack, if you were to hire somebody else besides Sean Miller, of course. they are in a significantly worse spot. And I would 100% agree with that. But okay. I'm saying that it's unique for Xavier to be in a position where they can genuinely go out and get something similar what they just did after they fired Travis Steele. Yeah. that's What are the chances of that happening is what I'm saying. What are the chances that Xavier finds himself in a position where they have an available head coach to them that was a coach there prior who was hugely successful and he's actually available and you know for all intents and purposes you can get him 
That's rare. That's rare. And, and I'm not going to say that Chris Mack is desperate, but he's certainly looking to get back into coaching at some point. And there would be no better place than to go somewhere where he's had a bunch of success. I think, I think Chris Mack obviously is a great fit. Uh, and I, Xavier fans would love him. I don't think Xavier fans are right now avidly looking to trade Chris no. Mack for Sean no. Miller. No, and I'm not suggesting they are. But I think, it is, I think there is a non-zero chance that Sean Miller leaves. I think there's a non-zero chance that Sean Miller walks out the door. Even though he's made – I think he wants – I think he at least when he came, and maybe this is just coach speak, and maybe this is what all head coaches do because God knows in, in college athletics these coaches leave uh, just as much as the players do. Don't let anybody fool you about that. Maybe even more than the players. Maybe they're even less faithful to their programs than the players. But uh, Sean Miller did make a, make a point about he wanted to make Xavier Cincinnati home for quite some time. I would I – would, I would be shocked if Sean Miller got hired shocked. by Ohio State. But, but, non-zero chance. I would be shocked if Sean Miller left as well, ultimately because Xavier lended a helping hand to Sean when he needed one to, yeah. to a certain extent. And I would think that you'd be somewhat loyal to the idea that, you know, hey, I'm at a program that, that I think that I can get to a Final Four. You've, that, that, as much jokes that have been made about Xavier, right, especially yeah. by UC fans, um, about not getting to the Final Four. It's a program that is capable of getting there. And it's not, a, it's not just like a, a once-in-a-lifetime in a type opportunity, right? Florida yeah. Atlantic University, FAU. Yeah, they got to the Final Four. We could all agree, though, as a coach or you're looking to go to a program, that's not a, that's not a place that you're going to say, put, it, you know, put your flag in there. I think we can get to another Final Four. Yeah. That's just lightning in a bottle. Xavier's not that place. Xavier plays in a great conference. They play in a, you know... For all intents and purposes, a city that that adores sports, and you would like to think that Sean Miller would look up the road at Columbus and ask himself, "What am I actually gaining by going to Columbus versus staying here?" And I don't, I don't really see that big of a difference. The only thing that I could say that you could get caught up in, and you certainly can get caught up in this, and I've known personally there was some baseball coaches that I knew that made choices to go from a, a mid-major program that probably was a better fit, a better baseball program, a program that ultimately was probably going to get you the NCAA tournament more times than not, and they decided to go to a Power 5 conference and go to a program, a baseball program at that, that they probably had little to no chance of ever getting back to the NCAA tournament. Now every coach is confident when they leave somewhere, they go somewhere, they can change things. But the reason that they went there was because of power, big boy football. And it was largely just the, 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 the idea that you're around something that is bigger than yourself. 100%. And Ohio State has that. 100%. Ohio State has Ohio State football. And I'm not suggesting for a second that that's the only reason why you should take a job or not. But let's face it. If you're at Xavier or Ohio State, there's more bells and whistles that are going to come with the Buckeyes in Ohio State. I th 100%. And you would have... Every opportunity in the world to have uh, the ceiling that you would imagine, that you would dream for in terms of NIL money, recruiting, all, all of it. Uh, I do find it strange, though. Gene Smith is the AD at Ohio State. I believe he's retiring after this year. Uh, I, I, I find it strange. I think he told maybe, – maybe this is a Elliot just making up stuff, but I'm pretty sure he had a conversation with Holtman that was reported – that he wasn't going to fire him until the end of the year, or he, maybe he was going to make it to the end of the season. 
I have a hard time believing that a guy who is on his way out as the AD is going to make a move like this. I thought I think that's strange. No. The only the only concept that I can come up with as to why you let go of a guy midseason is if there's obviously huge turmoil where you've lost the players completely, you've lost the locker room proverbial talk, and the other idea would be that you want to get ahead of that you you want to you want to start the process as soon as possible and get ahead of it and make sure that if there isn't another big program per se that comes open, which I don't off the top of my head I'm not suggesting that there are there is one of those, but if there were to be somebody that were to leave then you at least get an opportunity to get your pick of the litter before everybody else. That's fair. And, and I'm I, again, I'm trying to think through the big programs and say, well, this one's going to come open. Um, but the Blue Bloods, I don't see them all, right? I, maybe you could convince the the closest one, maybe is Kentucky of all the of, the, if, of all the ones that I would say, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina. I'm probably missing some here as I try to rattle these off the top of my head. But you get my point. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to happen, to be clear, but Kentucky's probably the closest one because if the wheels fall off there and they don't make the NCAA tournament somehow, some way, which is very, very unlikely, yes. You could convince me that maybe Cal just decides he's, he's done. Cal would never get fired, right? No, I think that would be a mutual parting of the ways. Yeah. Cal has the lifetime contract, which I believe is basically an assistant to the athletic director. He makes nearly a million dollars per year. He has the right to be able to choose to do that, I believe, here moving forward. So whenever he decides that, and, then the, and he has a 10-year contract, so when the 10 years is up, which is, I think, in 2027, um, he could be done, period. But point is, is that he would do that before they got to this yeah, firing. I agree. I agree. Um, all right, let's talk about the, uh, the odds here. Uh, I have, a, depending on where you look, um, the odds are pretty dramatically different as, as to what people want. So here's what I did. I took what the only Vegas odds I could find, and then I took a couple local media outlets in Columbus and who their wish lists were. So I have 11 Warriors, which is more of a digital site for those that don't know. And I have the Columbus Dispatch, uh, legacy media, obviously, up in Columbus. And then I have the, odd, the, the sportsbook odds. So currently, again, this was yesterday. I, I don't really believe these wholeheartedly. I'm going to put that out there, that disclaimer, 100%. I don't know if I believe these odds. But currently, Wes Miller, top guy in line, plus 450. Sean Miller right behind him, plus 700. Dusty May, that is the FAU coach, uh, for those that don't know, plus 1,000. Lamont Paris, South Carolina head coach, who's having a pretty good year. They just got the, the uh, basically got the break speed off of him yesterday, though, by Auburn. Uh, that He is at plus 1,200. And then you have Anthony Grant, followed by Pat Kelsey and Will Wade of McNeese State. Will Wade, interesting guy. Um, Will Wade, could you make the case very similar to a Sean Miller-ish, too? Mm -hmm. Great coach, was doing great things at a program that hadn't traditionally done all that well. Um, and like it or not, maybe got caught up in the wrong things. And now that the NIL exists, it's kind of like those crimes that have been committed before by NIL are now kind of looked at as not that big of a deal. I will wait. I will wait for you. Uh, I do think he just got extended, though. I don't know. And again, the, the college Extended best. at McNeese State. Correct. I'm sure I, that'll hold up. I just I don't I don't understand I don't understand college basketball coach extensions because they just they just don't matter. Uh, any any coach at any point can just be bought out and then nothing matters. So like Wes Miller got extended. What was it this past year or maybe it was two years ago? I don't know when he got extended. Extended. I think it was this past year. Um, and it's just like if, if if North Carolina if that job opened he'd be gone. He'd just be gone. Now I don't know if Wes Miller had earned, has earned it. Sean Miller's earned it. Wes Miller, luckily for Cincinnati fans, hasn't earned it yet. But I, I do think a guy like Will Wade will be hired. 
I think the uh, Arkansas coach helped me out. Oh, my God. Um, but I think that job is going to come open really soon because I think that's a disaster what's happening down there. Um, mall, mall, something with an M. Musselman. I, my Musselman. God, I couldn't think Thank of Musselman. He was the guy who beat uh, UC in the tournament when he was with Nevada. Um, yep. I think that's another head coach that is going to be sought out heavily here. Yeah, um, Musselman's a great coach. But yeah, I, I, it's interesting. It's interesting. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Ohio State. I will say, going to a program like Ohio State, that's more pressure. That's certainly more pressure than it would be at Xavier, right? I think that's a fair point. Yeah, that's the thing that we've talked about in this office at, at, at length. It's like there's a lot of coaches that find themselves at places to where it would be really tough for them to get fired because of the loyalty that they yep. have brought. They've built something up. Sean Miller, for all intents and purposes could have a few down years at Xavier, and I don't think that he will. He's a great coach. Genuinely, I think Sean Miller is one of the best coaches in the country. I don't think that's even really a dispute, like arguable fact. No. Um, he's won. Now, maybe you could argue he's not been to a Final Four, so that's part of you know the lure of, of saying that, that he's not a great coach. But, again, moving forward, though, if you're, if you're Sean Miller – you're in much you're in a much safer space at Xavier as, as you would Ohio State, but the ceiling is incredibly higher at, at Ohio State. Yeah, and the and what I mean by ceiling, I mean mostly I'm talking. Let's face it, resources available to you, one, and two, the ability to become relatively famous. Now, famous is in, you know, is a is a relative term, but. My point is, is that there's probably more money at Ohio State if you become very, very successful. Yep. And there's certainly, um, it's just a higher ceiling. But the floor is much lower. You can get fired in a couple years yeah. if things don't go well. I don't think that happens at Xavier under any circumstance. Uh, 11 Warriors, their top list of names. Interesting enough, whether or not, uh, these, are, these are more fun to talk about that I don't know if it would even be as smart for them to leave. Similar to where I don't think it's smart for Sean Miller to leave. Uh, Greg McDermott. I mean, I don't know. Because Greg McDermott's obviously a great coach. Uh, does he want to leave a place that he's been at for a long, long time? I don't know. You never know. Here's the crazy thing. If you would have told me, um, and this is where my, my noodle brain right now is not working at a, at a high capacity. Uh, if you'd have told me Providence's coach, Cooley, Ed Cooley, there yep. he comes. Ed Cooley was going to go to Georgetown? I would have thought you were crazy. Yeah. So who knows? You never know with these things. So Greg McDermott's at the top 11 Warriors list. Lamont Paris, again, South Carolina. Nate Oates of Alabama. Damn good head coach. And that's one of those things where it's like, I don't know. You go from Alabama to Ohio State, two football schools, mm -hmm. in two leagues that are relatively similar. Is that, a, is, that a, is that a step up? It doesn't. If you're getting paid it more, it is. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the contract would be. but I don't know. Again, Nate Oates, though, he feels like he's got, he's got a pretty long leash or at least a, a pretty, I agree. pretty good long leash in Alabama. Leave. You don't leave that. You don't leave that. Uh, they have Sean Miller as well. Then they have Dusty May, and they have Thad Mata, and that's where I just stopped reading the list. I got to be honest. They had like nine names under Thad Mata. Once they got to Thad Mata, I was done. Now, no would, disrespect to Thad. Now Thad Mata, how do you fire a guy? How now Thad Mata could that be a similar situation to Chris Mack and no, Xavier? I think it, that's a very it, similar they, thing. No, it's not because Thad got kicked out because he didn't want to recruit anymore. And that's what that's what Gene said. Yeah. And then on top of that, they were they were not that successful. Can I remind everybody that Chris Mack's final year, they were the number one seed in the tournament? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's leaving us about as high as you can get. He did. But then some things happened at Louisville 
that weren't great. So maybe that, that tarnished it a little bit. I don't know. Well, I will say the good news is for him is that Louisville's uh, right back on track. It looks like they're, they're, they're not missing him at all. <laughs> uh, Columbus Dispatch. They have, uh, they have the usual list of names as well. And then uh, they got some unique names on here I wanted to point out. Uh, they have Buzz Williams. Buzz Williams has never really gotten himself an opportunity at what you would call a big, well, not big school, because Texas A&M is about as big as it gets. But And, I, and then I, I, I've actually just changed my complete mind of what I was going to say. Because I was going to say a basketball school, but Ohio State, I wouldn't consider it a basketball school. It's a football school. He's so always, he'd be going from Texas A&M football school to Ohio State football school in relatively the same leagues. And I'd argue the SEC is probably at a better spot than the Big Ten basketball-wise going forward. I could, I could be wrong on that, I, I, but that's at least what I've, that's at least what I've seen. Buzz Williams is only 51 years old. I thought he was older than that. Only 51. Good for him. Lamont Paris, though. That's a guy I've not really watched a whole lot of. Have you seen a lot of Lamont Paris? No, I've not. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have Paul coming on in just a few moments to talk about Xavier basketball. They obviously had a tough game last night. They fell to Seton Hall. 88-70. to Now, Nick Curry, you got to love him. Made this awesome graphic here we're going to put up on the screen. And the true homer that he is, he decided to spot Xavier five points. And not only did he spot Xavier five points there, 88-75, when it was really 88-70, he also spotted Quincy Olivari an extra point. Uh, Quincy had 25 points. Great player. If they didn't have Olivari, what would they be? Some are saying. Maybe they're nothing either way, but it just feels like Xavier's kind of... Uh, they finally met their match, right? They had, uh, they had obviously glaring issues at the beginning of the season. Sean Miller tried to su suggest that, that what they were going to be at the beginning of the season is not what they were going to be at the end of the season, and they were going to continue to try to find ways to get better. And it definitely felt like they were on the right track until this past few games. They dropped one to Creighton at home, and then they obviously go on the road. They play a tough Seton Hall team. I think that's another coach. If we're being completely honest. 100%. Damn good coach. Um, don't know his name off the top of my head, but he came from um, what was the small school that took to make the tournament run. Top of my head and not hold working. On, hold on, hold on. All right. Come on. What the hell? You can find it. Um, Olivari dropped 25, had six rebounds. Kadari Richmond for Seton Hall scored 20, 13 assists, eight rebounds on top of that. Xavier, it turned the ball over. Uh, a Cincinnati tradition of late, 13 times. And uh, Shaheen Holloway Got made a record game. 38 combined turnovers in back-to-back -back game and back-to-back uh, -back Cincinnati games. So good for us. Good for Cincinnati. I like Kirby trying to slide that in, though. I like Kirby trying to boost his team's stats when they're when they're down and out. And I feel like since the Delaware and Oakland, it's just been a climb. They've just been trying to climb and climb and climb. And there's been moments where I feel like the Xavier team is legitimately like I don't want to use the word great, but they've been very competitive, very similar to UC in that in that fashion. But there's this thing when Xavier is bad, man, they are bad. And they just, like, just completely disappear. Like, yesterday, a 20-point loss to Seton Hall. Seton Hall's a damn good team. It's a damn good team on the road. But that's just another blowout loss to add to uh, in this conference. And it's a tough conference. I get all of it. But when they're off, they're just really off. Yeah, they take they – like When UC's off, it's like – and again, I'm not trying to compare a 10-point loss to an 18-point loss because what the hell are we doing here? Uh, but <laughs> so, at the end of the sounds day, like you are. It, well, it does sound like I am a little bit. But it does seem like when UC's off, it, it, at very worst, it's still competitive. When Xavier's off, they're down 20-2, to two, and it's just like the game's over. 
And I and, and that's hard to comprehend. You just need Quincy. You just need Quincy to score. You need Quincy to score thirty every game. Yeah. And outside of that, it's it's Davion McKnight and, and hopefully Desmond Claude can claw his way out of uh, the slump. I I mean he's been playing okay this year. Not good from three point land, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right, we'll see. All right, we have a good friend of the program, our main man. Some call him Big League Paul. Some call him Paul Frischner. But whatever you call him, he's here, right for our very eyes. Paul, thanks for joining the show. First and foremost. What's this up, Trace? A, it's been a while. How are we I doing? Know. It's been it's been a, it's been maybe some would say too long, Paul. That's what some are yeah. saying. Not me, but some. Uh, Paul, obviously things Xavier. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster season, right? You get off to a slow start. You lose. You drop a few games at home that that ultimately uh, the other rival fan base seems to start poking fun at. Then you beat the big rival on the home floor. That catapults you to get yourself in a position where things seem like you're going. Uh, in a very positive direction. You get some big wins throughout Big East play, and you find yourself on the proverbial bubble. And then this past week, obviously, things have kind of taken a downturn. What do you make overall of the season as a whole? I think last night was a pretty good microcosm of the entire year, right? Where I, you said it best, Trace. You, you give yourself some opportunity to put yourself in a position where maybe you can compete for the NCAA tournament. But at the end of the day, this team is just not that talented. They're not that good. And what teams, what, uh, what, what the teams that Xavier's playing, what they have figured out is that they can sell out against the guards and leave the post wide open because Xavier has zero down around the basket. And if you don't get anything out of Davion McKnight, Des Claude, and Quincy Oliveri, who had 25 points last night, I, if you don't get anything out of those guys, you're just not going to win the. You're not going to win the game by just relying on three guards to put up 90% of your points every game. So it's just it's a tough sell for this team. Now look, like, it, you know, I I did a spaces after the game, and and I had a couple of people come on and ask if the season was over, like. Do you, do does anybody that's listening to this show does anybody that has a brain and watched last night's game really expect this Xavier team to go five and one or six and zero oh down the stretch? No, I do not. No, I do not. I would be happy with three and three down the stretch with the way this is going. At the same time, if they were to somehow, some way, rattle off five out of their last six wins, yeah, they're probably in the tournament because that means you're beating Marquette. That means you're beating Providence. That means you're beating Butler and you're picking up some quad one wins, and then maybe you do something in the Big East tournament. But does anybody expect that to happen? No, probably not. Okay, um, before we get to the Sean Miller stuff, which obviously we'll get to here towards the, to, to the end of our conversation, he's obviously popped up, rumored at least, to go possibly entertain the idea of being the Buckeyes' next head coach. He's done a good job in the portal, right? He's gone out. Last year it was Sule Boom, got him in the portal. He It was immediate impact. Olivari now is a is a big immediate impact. How much, how much of the Xavier fan base believes that the injuries to what you just mentioned to the front court are really the reason for the struggles more so than anything else? Well, I think it. I, I think if you have Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle playing at a hundred percent, I mean, this is an entirely different team because that changes the whole dynamic of what. Xavier was looking to do in the portal. I mean, Abu Usman's not going to be playing much. You're probably not picking up uh, as many or any of the international players. So instead of going out there and picking up three international players, two of which are freshmen, and and picking up Abu Usman, who was probably your second or third option in the portal, now you got a, a returning player who is an all-Big East player, another returning player who could 
potentially be an all Big East player, and you you don't you don't have any of that. Instead, you're relying on one returning player who was a freshman last year who you're just hoping would progress to a point where he could carry the team. But, you know, it, it just it, it hasn't happened so far. And I think part of that is due to how much pressure was on Des Claude's shoulders to try and take over that role. But I guess to answer your question directly, I yeah, I do think that, that this team – look, am I going to sit here and say that Xavier's a, a top 15 team with Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle? No, probably not. But I think they are a consistent top 25 team with both of them playing at, at the highest level. I mean, I – we know the issues Zach Fremantle had defensively, turnstile defensively. Like, he's not getting many stops. But Jerome Hunter, that's what he was known for. And, and, and his offense picked it up at the end of the year. Jerome Hunter saved Xavier in the Kennesaw State game last year. So you put both of the, those guys out there and you compete. Yeah, I think that's a top 25 team with the guard play that they have. But without post play to complement it, you, you're going to get nothing. Uh, obviously, you're around this program a lot more than, than than everybody else, and maybe this is an unfair question to ask. And and you could say, hey, I to be fair, I don't I don't know. I'm not in the mind of Sean Miller. But if you had to put yourself there in the mind of Sean Miller, moving forward in the next season, trying to sure up the front court, he's got two guys that that maybe he's trying to rely upon. They're going to come back from injury. What do you suspect the answer is there? Because as you said to top at the top of the interview, you get absolutely nothing there now and not that's no disrespect to the guys that are there now i don't mean that they're that they're the you know but let's face it if we can call a spade a spade you need better players down there what's the you plan do. what's the plan if there is one moving forward is it just getting healthy or do you got to go dip into the portal again in your opinion uh you, you i'll be real interested to see what happens in the portal from a xavier perspective of like who leaves because I, I do think there's going to be some pretty significant turnover. You know, I haven't heard specific names necessarily, but I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves of guys that aren't getting the minutes that maybe they were hoping they would get on this roster or, or at the same time, guys that aren't contributing at the Big East level. I do think there's going to be a decent amount of turnover. Uh, so I think you do have to go to the portal and hope that you're, you're going to have to replace Quincy. You're going to have to get a shooter. Uh, you're going to have to do something in the portal to to get the front court short. Because you can't rely on Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle next year either. It'd be great if both of them came back. And it, it'd be great if both of them were healthy next year. But Zach Fremantle's coming off his third foot surgery. Jerome Hunter had a cardiac episode. He had a heart attack. And then he tears his Achilles. And you expect him to just come back next year and be 100%. I mean, I, I think that's not realistic either. So what I'm most interested in uh, and I said this last night, what I'm most interested in to see is how this coaching staff handles the transfer portal and planning around Zach Fremantle and Jerome Hunter. Do you plan around those guys coming back and being healthy and contributing at the level that you want them to contribute at? Or do you go and you just say, anything we get from them is great, but we have to plan outside of that. We have to make sure that you know we have everything shored up. And then if those guys come back and are healthy and if they play at a Big East level, because you got to remember, Jerome, whenever he comes back, he's that'll be the first time that he's playing basketball in 18 months, 19 months by the time he comes back. Zach Fremantle, at least right now, he's been cleared to practice. So he's, you know, running around doing non-contact stuff. He's, he's at least out there and will get the offseason. Jerome Hunter's not even going to get the offseason. Let's say Jerome Hunter's cleared in, you know, the end of November, early December, at the absolute, like, best case scenario for an Achilles injury I mean this could take a year and a half for him and we might not see him playing his Xavier uniform anymore who knows but 
yeah, they got to do something trace in the front court because this is just miserable to watch right now. Yeah. All and right. I think it comes out of the portal. Yeah, I mean, that's usually the, the quickest way to try to solve an issue is to go into the portal. Unless you find somebody, I mean, you could find a dynamite electric freshman, um, which I would suspect that if a coach had the choice of the two, they'd take the dynamite freshman. But that's uh, those don't really grow on trees all that much. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the thing that obviously is swirling around the city right now with, between both programs, to be fair. Obviously, there's some talk that Wes Miller uh, could possibly be a part of that conversation up in Columbus. But Sean Miller seems to be the one that seems to get the most run just based off his uh, success prior to what what position do you find yourself in here as obviously a Xavier guy Xavier fan and, and a Xavier reporter uh, about the the rumblings inside the building per se about what it is uh, that Sean may or may not do I think there's a there's a couple of ways to look at this the first way is that I think Xavier fans were prepared that anytime a big major job opening happens you know Texas last year Ohio State this year uh, you know, potentially Louisville this year, Michigan this year, anytime one of these jobs open, Sean Miller's name is immediately going to get linked to it. What's kind of funny is that the two names that a lot of people were throwing out yesterday were Sean Miller and Lamont Paris at South Carolina. Lamont Paris has done a great job. He was in his second year. Both of those guys were the finalists at South Carolina two years ago when Sean took the Xavier job. Lamont Paris went to South Carolina, and now they're both being linked to uh to ohio state i've heard that lamont paris is going to get an extension um that i don't know if that will take him out of the running because of the buyout for ohio state i also don't know how true that is um it's just some rumors that i've heard that potentially south carolina is going to pony up the money to keep him there the the impression that i get from uh and, and look I, to people listening to this you, you see that I'm wearing the Sean Miller podcast logo. You know you know that I'm around the program every day that I talk to Sean. You're not going to believe me when I say that I don't know what he's doing. But I truly say I, I don't know what he wants to do. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what, he, what his intent is here. I think the biggest thing is that it is being pushed hard enough that whether or not he leaves, you've already seen the Xavier fan base kind of rally around the, uh, the NIL initiative of understanding that if Xavier is to keep Sean Miller, the biggest tool to keeping him is shoring up the NIL base and making sure that it's competitive with everybody else, which I do think it's competitive right now. And I think a lot of people underestimate what Xavier's NIL, I, I think Xavier's NIL base kind of gets slandered a little bit around here. I, I don't really know why. Maybe it's just because it hasn't done a good enough job marketing itself. But I, I think that Xavier is competitive with a lot of the biggest programs, one in the Big East, two in the Midwest. But also, they have a the, – the Ohio State basketball job, as crazy as this sounds, Trace, the Ohio State basketball job is not a very attractive job. It's attractive if the team is really good, but they don't have the NIL that a lot of people think they do. Their arena is terrible. Their fan base is very much filled with fair-weather fans that – want to come and, and watch winning basketball after football is over. Well, what does that sound like? That sounds like a lot of boxes that Sean Miller has already checked and learned at Ohio State. Does he want to go and do that again? Maybe. Maybe he does. But to me, that seems a little weird that of all of these jobs that are opening, you know, you look at Louisville that prioritizes, uh, that prioritizes basketball. I don't think Sean will be as big of in play at Louisville only because I've heard that Eric Musselman from Arkansas is is who they're really targeting to, to be the replacement for Kenny Payne when he inevitably gets fired at Louisville. So 
Then that leaves, you know, Jawan Howard at Michigan. But again, Michigan, kind of the same way. You're coming off a football national championship. D do you really want to go and do that again and, and trust that the NIL is going to just magically come in because you have a new coach? Does Ohio State want to go with Sean Miller or do they want to go younger, like a Dusty May from Florida Atlantic? I think both sides of this, um, you know, I, I don't know if – I don't know if I want to put a number on it or anything, but I, I just I have a hard time feeling like that's the right fit for a, a big time job just because I don't think it's as attractive as a lot of people think it is. No, that's understandable. Uh, the, the NIL, I think, will get pushed back on, obviously, from some folks in regards to Ohio State because it is it is a massive school with a massive uh fan base and i think though, i think it could football, get i think it could get there yeah i think it could get there it's just very much not there now because they've spent so much money on football and there's a little bit of donor fatigue they just have such a bigger base that if they want to draw from it they can yeah no i understand that the only yeah. the only yeah. the only thing i would have uh that i want to finish on here with you is uh something that i speculated at the top of the show which is very uh maybe gossipy maybe drama maybe sports talky i don't know but i do think it's very very interesting xavier find themselves in a position that's very similar to what they had had, had when travis Steele left right they had a previous coach that found himself who had a lot of success with the program left the program there was a little turmoil when they left the program at the next institution. Next thing you know, they get let go. They're sitting on the sidelines. They're just hoping they can get a second chance, if you would like to call it that. Xavier, if they were to lose Sean Miller, do you think, now I know this is huge speculation, and I'm not suggesting that you have to say one way or the other this is exactly what they would do, but is there any other choice in the world besides Chris Mack? No. No. I... I, I now, does does the does the athletic department do they do they want to do that a second time? Do they want to run it back a second time? I guess that's the question. But in my mind, Chris would take it in a heartbeat. I think, I think Xavier fans would welcome him back. He look at you look at what he did while he was here. That goes without saying. He took the school to its first number one seed. He's all time winningest coach in school history. I think. Uh, I think it would make sense, and I would not be shocked if, if that was who Xavier would turn to if, if that was to happen. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I don't. I don't sure like. I. I, I don't know. I. I yeah. No. I. I. Uh, I know that Chris does want to get back into coaching. It was good to see him the other day. He was at the Xavier Hall of Fame dinner the other day, and he talked about it for a while. You know. I mean, obviously, we didn't talk about that. Like. There's nothing to yeah. talk about. Sean's still right. here. That you know, there's nothing to talk about. But I mean, he did make it very clear that he wants to get back into coaching, and then he's hoping to get a job in this next cycle. So wherever that is, uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see. But I, I, yeah, if Xavier was to open, if Sean was to leave, I would not be shocked if that was a uh, if that was a, a Chris Mack hire by any means. All right. All right, Paul, thank you for coming on the show. Don't make yourself a stranger. I'm sure as the season progresses, we'll talk college basketball one way Elliot said he was going to – Elliot said he was going to make me cry. Do well, you got I a question know. for maybe, me, Elliot? Maybe I should ask Elliot. Elliot, do you have a question? Well, it's funny you should ask. I do. In fact, I'll ask you two. I'll ask you one serious one, and this will be a warm-up to the, uh, the question that will make you cry. Um, hi, oh, hi, okay. Paul. Hi, Paul. I'm Elliot. Uh, nice hey, to meet Elliot. you. Um, but I want to ask, I think coming into this season for Xavier, and this is my big question. This is my real question, my big J question. Coming into, this, coming into this season, I think Des Claude was forced into a position where he had to be the guy. Do you think 
A, was it unfair? And B, has he lived up to that expectation whatsoever? I think, quick answer, I think he's playing a lot of a lot better than fans give him credit for because what I, I, what I, how I characterize it is Des Claude gets the ball in a lot of hand grenade possessions where it's seven seconds left or less on the shot clock, and it's just like, hey, Des, go create a shot. And he's not the best shot creator, but he might be the best shot creator on the team, so or, or at least the best scorer on the team, whether it's driving or maybe a, a step back if he's, you know, into the 10-foot range, and then he just plants and pulls up so if you're not converting on a lot of those where you just have to go at the end of the shot clock your stats aren't going to be as good I think I think Dez has gotten slandered a little bit this year for his play because I think if you go and you really just watch him play and you take a deep dive on his stats I think he's had a really good season obviously not the season that maybe he was hoping to have and his three-point shooting's really got to pick it up if you want to progress to the NBA level but yeah, I mean, he's he's not playing nearly as bad as I think the the casual fan thinks that he's playing. And this is my that's a good that's a good answer, Paul. And this is my final question: Do you think? And I know you don't want it to happen, and, and all of Xavier uh, fandom doesn't want it to happen. But if Sean Miller were to leave, do you think you'd help him make his coworkers cry the way you made me cry when you left us? Uh, that would be my intent. Yeah, no doubt. I, yeah. I think I learned a lot that day when I made you cry. I think there was a lot of things that I uh, yeah. internalized. There were a lot of things that I felt like I uh, was able to uh, convey to you that yeah. I, I really liked drawing that emotion out of you. I think about that a lot. Um, you think about I me think crying a lot? What, yeah, I do. I really do. I, I, yeah. I think about it probably too much, I guess some would say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's all right. Okay, thank you, Paul. That's all I had. Nice meeting you. Absolutely. <laughs> Casey, it's great to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, Paul. All right. Thanks, Trace. Right. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. Paul. Thanks, Chad. See you. See you good Paul. to see you all. Hey, uh, have fun with Rocco. He's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, Rocco, uh, for those that dive into it and catch the Thank beginning you, of the show, he's going to join us uh, here in just a moment, right at the 11 o'clock hour. And we're going to talk bracketology because I have some questions about bracketology. Uh, we've, we've been uh, questioning the Mountain West. I'm going to see if I can't get some answers on that. Should I, should I be a slanderous against the Mountain West? They did just have a team that made the national championship, which is kind of part of the, uh, the, the crux of the position that I'm in because I'm arguing against a conference that just sent one of their teams to the national championship game. However, when you look back at what they've done collectively, it's pretty bad. It feels like, it feels like you're trying to give someone financial advice and you tell them, hey, you know, buying those scratch-offs or playing roulette at the casino is just not a good idea. But you're trying to convince somebody that it's not a good idea right after they just scratched one off for 150 bucks. It's kind of the position I find myself in. Yeah. I, I, I think, and again, uh, I'm going to take these off. It's very loud on those headsets. Um, uh, I, lost, I, lost, I lost my train of thought. What were we just talking about? That ain't happening. Uh, Scratch-offs, casinos. No, that's what we were um, talking about. Mountain West. Mountain West. Thank you. My God. Uh, I got distracted by the ear set headphones. Uh, I think the Mountain West is very similar to the Big 12 in that it's a very good conference. You don't schedule a ton of out-of-conference because you know it's going to cannibalize itself once you get into January and February and March. Uh, and, and I think you and Sean specifically are sleeping on a, a very good conference. I think, they're, I think they're very competitive, and obviously it's nowhere near the Big 12. But I would say, uh, again, it's a lot of good talent that beats up on each other. So sure. why would you schedule a ton of out-of-conference games when you know it's going to be a war once the schedule starts? Well, I, 
that's all fair to say if you play in a big boy conference. The only issue that I have for... They just had a team that went to a championship. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean that you play in a big boy league. Maybe. Are you going to suggest that the, the, that the WAC's a big boy league just Gonzaga makes the championship? No, but St. Mary's is good. There's a couple good teams sometimes well, you in just said You just said one team. And you San, said Francisco, a, San Francisco's been good every once in a while. So, yeah, what? That's a joke. It's not a joke. You, uh, this is somebody who doesn't watch a lot of college basketball, and that's fine. But I, I, think, I think the Mountain West is better than you give it credit for. Really? Yes. I think that I've given them the credit they rightfully deserve. We'll get into it. We'll get I don't want to. We'll I don't. I, I don't want to fire off too wrong. much here. I could be wrong. <clears throat> I don't want to fire off too much. I don't. I'll tell you right now. I don't. Before I get I'm into it with Rocco. I don't think I'm gonna be wrong. Okay. All right. Uh, Rocco's coming at the eleven o'clock hour. The yeah, right. Eleven o'clock. All right. So here's the deal. We're gonna go to ads just just before yep. his interview because I don't want to. I, I don't. I, when he comes on here, uh, maybe there's fireworks because if he loves the Mountain West. Then I'm sure that it'll be it'll be a fun time. If he if he's with me though, maybe it'll be boring. But nonetheless, we're going to talk about what opportunities, if any, are left for Xavier to get in the tournament, and then obviously what UC has left in front of him, what he suspects they need to do to get into the tournament, and then of course, the biggest fraud conference in the league in the history of the NCAA. Okay. The Mountain West Conference. We'll talk about them. That's all right. Good. Casey, take it away. All right. The uh, future Bearcat report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data centered world with the suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work from home computing modules to improve efficiency and productivity. Productivity. The path to innovation begins here. Visit Encore.tech. Did you think I was going to extend that? And now, let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water right here. Pawnee Water. Pawnee Water? Yeah. Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water, and some say the best tasting water in the, in world. the world. You can visit Pawnee Water at P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Get your coffee from UDF. Uh, drink lots of Pawnee Water and... Get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. And did you realize that you're wearing green that makes your... Uh, it's a dark green, though. So it, I, I, I was aware of what I was doing. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, dark that, green, it's not actually black, folks. It's it's a dark green. It's a dark green. It which, just makes it look weird. But I can, uh, I, I can hold up this Yoshi, and you can't really see him because behind us is a green screen. Believe it or not, that's actually not the city of Cincinnati right behind us in, Ham in Hamilton, Ohio. <laughs> that's not the city? That's not it. So if you thought that was it, you're clearly mistaken. Uh, but that's just the magic. By the way, if you're watching right now, please, please, please hit the little thumbs up. Hit the little thumbs up in the comment section after the show is posted. After it's posted, put a little comment. Say I'm stupid. Say whatever you want about me. Uh, make it funny. Uh, I'll give the funniest. I'll tell you right now. Here's what we're going to do. After this show is posted, comment some sort of insult to Elliot. I will pick the funniest winner, and I will Venmo you $1. One dollar to whoever $1. makes the funniest comment about me. Again, you can't do it until after the show ends. The show has to end. You come back to it, and then you comment on it. Funniest comment gets a dollar from me, and, I, and I'll determine the winner later today. That's a, a great deal. Great so, deal. So, One dollar. Who can turn down that value? Yeah, make sure you put in your, uh, so your Venmos, by the way. Don't, don't forget that because House is going to pay you. So. Yep. That's right. Alex uh, mentioned that she loves your fit today, Casey. Does she? Did she pick that out for you, or did you – did you wear that? No, I decided to wear this today. Nice. I, I like wearing my FC gear. I'm so excited for this season. I feel like they're going to just absolutely dominate again. It's going to be a great time. So, 
That's uh, 25th. Me and Let's Alex. do a quick FC report for those that are yeah, casuals please. like us. Uh, yeah. We don't know anything about them at all. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, could you let us know? Is there any? Is there anybody that that's new, or is there anybody that's left that was important? Uh, I mean, Acosta's still there, our MVP from right. last season. Uh, that's the a golden huge boot. Deal. What about the guy that punched the uh, referees in the locker room that cost him uh, the championship? He, yeah. <laughs> and by punched him, maybe just said a couple of mean things to them. Yeah, he will be back. Uh, he's paired with their new defender. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's, he's a big big deal. He was um, basically one of the the second best defender in the league last year. So we have the first and the second best defender in the league. And when that no, news broke, it was basically comparing like Miles Garrett to T.J. Watt being on the same team. Uh, that's going to be phenomenal. And I mean, on top of that, comparison. Aaron Bupenza, uh, the, the striker that we got midway through last season, I believe, he has been lighting teams up in the mm -hmm. preseason. He's finally got adjusted to the team, and he's just been making teams look silly. He's a guy that came from, I believe, um, La Liga. I believe he, he, he was a, a really good player in La Liga. Got, got kicked out. Uh, got kicked came, out. Well, he, he got... He he started playing bad in La Liga, got kicked out, hmm. booted out. But Sounds now great. now he's playing phenomenally again. So nice. That's a guy. We and with want. the combination of Acosta and Bupenza, that should be fireworks. So guy got we're very out excited of the league for being terrible, and we got him. All right, uh, poll question of the day, Casey. Let's put this thing up. Um, we are going to go with who should be the next head coach at Ohio State. If you Ooh. were the athletic director, if you were the athletic director, who would you choose? Uh, we got to come up with a list here. We got to come up with a decent Wes list. Wes Miller. It's going to be see, Sean Miller. See, see, hold on. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. What do you mean? I don't know. Yesterday, I feel like we 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 sabotaged the poll because I put Joe Burrow, and of course, everyone picks Joe Burrow. Sean Miller, I think, is a name that is is what I would consider neutral to where not everyone's just going to vote Sean Miller. If we put Wes Miller yeah. on there, the fan base is so divided right now. That there's going to be people that vote Wes Miller just because they won him out of UC. And I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's right. I don't think it is either. I don't think anybody would do that. Let's put Wes Miller, and we'll see there's if There's been slander on X.com about Wes Miller with Ohio State when he was rumored to go there. There there's, was people begging him to leave. And I'm like, that seems kind of wild, so if we're being honest. But we're going to go slander. Sean Miller, Lamont Paris, Dusty May, or, or other. Which No, Wes you, Miller. Let's put Wes Miller So on. why don't I just put Sean and Wes? Yeah, I agree. Sean or Wes? Sean, like Sean, Sean or Wes. slash Wes? Yeah. yeah. Fair. All right. Okay. You got it. I would like Wes to have his own, but that's okay. I feel like that's going to end up being the one that wins. Nah. Uh -huh. You don't think so? Oh, it's absolutely going to be the one that wins. Yeah. Because people are uh, well, I don't know, man. I'm going to go with other. I think Chris Max is a pretty damn good coach. I think he's yeah, okay. I mean, I, I think, in all honesty, I don't see either, either team losing their oh, – should probably uh, get rid of this before I do that. Uh, I don't think either team is going to lose their coach, to be honest with you. Right. Maybe maybe they, they really want to seek out I don't think Sean Miller, but I don't think we're losing Wes Miller anytime soon. I don't think Wes Miller has earned it like Sean has earned it. That's the other, that's the other part of it. Yeah. So when I said Wes, it was a joke. I'll make that abundantly clear. Currently, other is winning. have been in the same amount of Final Fours. Who? Sean and Wes? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm just that's the dumb. That's joke. interesting. That's the dumb joke that you see fans make every time. Well, it's not. A, I wouldn't. Can say we be joke. honest? That's like the one. That's the one joke that's a little tired that you see fans use. Anytime I agree. Xavier. Anytime Xavier does anything relatively worthwhile. 
What UC made a Final Four when basketball sucked and when basketball was irrelevant. And I hate to say that, but the game is unfortunately drastically different. And, and thank I, I should say fortunately, because if basketball was still played like it was in 1960, uh, nobody would watch it. But yeah, I listen. UC made two Final Fours. Sometimes I'm going to bring it up. One Sweet 16 in the last 25 years. Is that yeah, right? it's horrible. Two Ohio State, coincidentally. Jared Selinger, uh, he killed us in that game. That was horrible. We could have done it against Nevada had uh, my boy Mick Cronin not blown a 20-point lead in nine minutes. Scooney Pin. There's some great some great Ohio State players. Aaron Kraft, um, Chris Conley. Was uh, Evan Turner? Greg Oden. Evan Turner was Ohio State, right? Or Evan was he, Turner? Yeah, good or was player. was he Maryland? Evan Turner was Ohio Evan State. Turner was Ohio State. He hit that half-court shot yes. to beat Michigan in the Big Ten yes. tournament. Who could forget? Who could forget? Um, do, you agree with, do you agree with Paul that Ohio State's basketball program's probably not as good of a job that one would think? No, I can't. I can't buy into that. I, 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 I listen. I love Paul, but you know the resources available to you as the Ohio State basketball coach is just going to be significantly better than Xavier. And that's no disrespect to Xavier, but I have a strong opinion that if that if Sean Miller and or whoever the head coach is going to be at Ohio State negotiates, just think of just think of uh, charter travel. Just think of private jets. Yeah. I mean, that's something in and of itself that Ohio State's going to be able to provide that you know, I don't. I mean, Sean Miller's probably not jumping on a bunch of PJs and flying all over the country to recruit. Yeah, they got some money over there. I don't think they're I don't doing think that. PJ money, but they got some money. Well, yeah. I'm just suggesting that there's a difference. I mean, how much would it take? You think? Fifty percent more? Hundred percent more? What do you mean, salary wise? You're talking about yeah, salary wise yeah. to move Sean? That's yeah, a good like question. I, that's a good question. What? I, what? Even money? The Sean leave? You can make the case and point that, again, it all comes down to what Sean wants. If he wants stability, he wants love, he wants comfortability, um, then he stays. If he wants to be, for lack of a better term, because when he left for Arizona, Arizona, you could consider a, uh, consider, excuse me, a blue blood program, right? Yeah. I mean, Arizona basketball is towards the top of the list. Certainly better than Ohio State. It's a, that's a, it's a unique situation because Ohio State, the school, is a blue blood academic institution, right? Like, that's one of the bigger institutions in the country, one of the more ravaged fan bases in the country. I get most of it might be considered towards football, but still, it's still a massive, massive school. 100%. And now you're at an institution in Cincinnati that's a small Catholic school that very much is basketball-oriented. They're beloved in that small part of the world, but let's face it, if you become very, very successful at Ohio State, I think you can get to be close to a household name. I agree. If you are really good at Xavier, then you still are just known within the circles of basketball and people that watch college basketball. I think that's 100% true. And, and that's no knock. And I think that might go for UC, too, a little bit. I think yeah, if, I would agree. If, if you're the best, if you're the best, if you're a constantly a, a number, a top five seed in the tournament, at the University of Cincinnati, does anybody really know you outside of obviously uh, John Rothstein? Maybe not. I mean, it's it's going to be pretty much the the hardos, the the guys who watch college basketball night in night out. And I think I think that's right. I think brand recognition is certainly something that Ohio State has over, I would say, ninety percent of the schools in the country. Maybe yeah, more. I listen. It's 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 hard to put yourself in the mind of Sean Miller. If you're going to get paid more, that's one part of it. The, the part that that really, uh, man. 
If he were to leave, I don't know what the buyout is for Xavier. and something I dig into maybe tonight. Do we even is, know the contract? Is that? That's my point. Is yeah. that you would think that Xavier had all the negotiating power in the world when they were bringing Sean back the first time. Yeah. Right? Because he's not begging for a job, but he's certainly hoping that somebody understands that, that the past is the past. And, and, and he talked about that. He was very, very, very grateful to what Xavier did for him. Him to leave that quickly after kind of getting an opportunity at Xavier would be, I don't want to say it would leave a sour taste in the mouths of some of the admin there, but I think it would. I think it would. I think, I think it would. And, you know, whether or not Sean needs to consider that if he were to leave, I don't know. But Sean's in a position now where, hey, he is once again a sought-after commodity because he's a damn good basketball coach. It's as simple as that. All right, we have uh, Rocco Miller on the run. Rocco, I'm going to have to get my headset. That's how this works here. Um but I have, some, uh, I have some questions for you with this whole bracketology. Uh, for those that don't know, Rocco Miller does Bracketeer. And I'll let, uh, I'll let you succinctly tell everybody here towards the end of this where they can follow you. But first and foremost, welcome to the program. Uh, this, I would assume, is starting to get into your season that you probably adore. Yes or no? Absolutely. You know, it's funny because that's how this all started several several years ago uh for me personally uh just being a college basketball junkie since i was little you know all the way through adult life and here we are but um you know as i've been more involved on the media side of things in the last decade or so it is a race to the finish you know uh but it, we love it so much uh, i mean i can't get enough of it and um i just wish there was more time in the day because i i would love to spend time dissecting you know over 100 different tournament hopefuls unfortunately you know, we have to, we have time constraints every single day. So we do as much as we possibly can. Um, clearly, uh, Joe Lenardi has become this guy that was kind of maybe on the forefront of that Mel Kuyper-esque of the NFL draft, per se. He was the yes. first one to maybe start doing this. Got a big network behind him. Uh, not that we're going to slander anybody or anything like that on this show. But I guess my question more or less is, between the folks that obviously take bracketology very, very seriously, what, in your opinion, are some of the differences between the opinions of Lenardi, the opinions of yourself, and even the opinions of others that do this? I don't get asked that question nearly enough, so I'm really glad you asked it. So first of all, I'd just like to say, without Joe Lenardi, a bunch of us, maybe even 99% of us, would not really be doing this as a hobby. Uh, in 1996, however many years ago that was, almost three decades ago, 28 years ago, uh, was the first time the word bracketology was ever used by Joe. Joe's a former blue ribbon guy. He started doing these postseason NCAA tournament previews. He'd try to put packets together in that three-day window when the bracket came out to the first game so fans could have a guide on who are all these Cinderella's, who are these teams we're not familiar with. And eventually he turned that into, you know, mid-season forecasting at some point, called it bracketology. Obviously inspired a whole generation of people um, and that's about the time, you know, I was, you know, 12 to 18 year old kid taking everything in. And um, so, first of all, oh, Joe, a ton of respect. We are now friends for the last handful of years. So hopefully he'll see this. But, um, you know, in general, what I realized when a, a website called The Bracket Matrix came out many years ago, about 12, 13 years ago, that Internet bracketologists are actually more accurate than Joe in a lot of cases. And as it stands today, there's a couple hundred people that do it just as a hobby, all, all, all shapes and sizes. You have the guys at Fox and CBS and Joe. Then you have kind of your next cut of guys like 
me and whoever who have been doing it a long time. And then you have random new ones that show up every year. And um, we're all graded the same way. And so Joe's ranked like 98th out of uh, the, the bracketologist. And I think it's nothing against him. I think it's just all the time constraints. It's hard for him to be as accurate as somebody that can pull an all-nighter and do all the breakdowns. Um, somebody like me, I mean, I was doing that for years. I still, to a degree, do that. And I put a lot of pride in the work. And I think the work is tricky because, uh, you know, Joe's job is to get is partially to get people to watch games on ESPN. My job is just to tell you what the committee is going to do. I don't care what league you're from and what channel your games are on. So that's a huge distinction there. Um, and I think in the end, it's it's kind of why I've been more accurate nearly every year for the last decade. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the question I have now moving forward is two things. One, I do want to get in the Mountain West, which is a side tangent in and of itself that we'll talk about here, maybe towards the back end. But first, we have a lot of local viewers, many of uh, UC fans, Xavier fans, and then obviously some NKU fans. Uh, per, per, let's, let's focus on UC first here. UC obviously just find themselves this first year where they finally play in what we would call a big, big, big boy conference. They're playing against opponents that are ranked within the top, you know, 40 net usually within this league. How often when you're looking at this from a, from a bracketologist perspective to where do you ever get to a position where you overvalue leagues you think and or you get yourself in a position where it's hard to justify what kind of wins are inside of this league versus another or is it genuinely whatever the numbers say you believe it? Well, by the book, every, you know, one thing I do that I think is a little different is I've will record every interview that I can find on the internet or on CBS when the committee chairman gets interviewed and gets asked these exact same questions. Because again, my goal is to guess what they're going to do. Every single chairman or in, uh, or committee member I've interviewed over the years have all agreed that you know teams are not selected based on what league they play in. They're based on their own body of work and then they're compared against each other. So Cincinnati is not necessarily going to be compared to uh, like a TCU or a team in their league. Right now, they're getting compared to teams like Memphis, New Mexico, Utah, Gonzaga. Uh, and so that is really what it's about. It's about individual teams. So I try not to get lost at all in the conference conversation. Now, are we all humans? Do we all watch college basketball? Of course. So is that part of your psyche, perhaps, as a person who votes for these teams to be in or out in a committee setting? Absolutely. So there is a degree that you have to acknowledge, but I do think... Uh, they do a pretty good job just based on what all the guidelines say, what all the policies say on getting the right 36 at large teams. You have your 32 automatic bids. And, you know, from there, they, they slot them every year. I might disagree with one or two uh, of their, of their picks, but I think you can justify even the ones that I haven't been right about. So um, in general, I, I don't think that's a factor. I, I think what it is, is who did you play? Where did you play? And how did you do? And even when you're in the same league, you know, Cincinnati, because they're new to the Big 12, much like UCF and BYU, they're not Houston level, and even Houston themselves, um, scheduled fairly weak in the non-conference. Right now, Cincinnati is a 296th ranked non-conference. It's a problem for them if they are right on the bubble, which they pretty much are right now, um, because that those are reasons to, to throw a team out. Uh, but if you have great road wins, if you have you know all the other boxes checked, they'll be able to feel safe, especially in a league like that. Um, more directly for the Big 12, just to address that real quick, there's so many uh, big games, so many quad ones. They have more quad one games than any other league. So the data just kind of sorts itself out by the end of the year. You look at 
Oklahoma State last year. Oklahoma State loses their 15th game on the last week of the year. I told everybody that day there's no chance they're getting in because they just have too many losses. They're not going to be able to clear 500 by enough because they're going to take another loss once they get to the Big 12 tournament. Um, so a lot of these teams were going to play themselves out just by sheer amount of losses. And when we talk about the Big East, I think we'll cover that too. Yeah. All right. You mentioned New, you mentioned New Mexico State, right? Uh, or New Mexico, excuse me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm looking at them right now and this league in and of itself, the Mountain West, which is kind of where I'm saying, okay, if you look at UC's resume and then you compare that up against some of these Mountain West teams, these Mountain West teams are easily in, right? I mean, they're, they're slotted, I believe, on your bracketology somewhere around the eighth seed. And I'm, when I say easily in, I mean they're not directly on the first four out, first four in. Sure. Yep. This league as a whole since 2015, they went one and three in the tournament. San Diego State was their their lone team that won a game. And 16, they went 0 and 1. 17, they went 0 and 1. And 18, Nevada did make the Sweet 16, so they went 2 and 2. In um, 19, they went 0 and 2. In 2020, to be fair, uh, San Diego State was a top five team in the country. They didn't get a chance to play, obviously, because of the uh, of the COVID. In 2021, this league went 0 and 2. In 2022, this league went 0 and 4. Last year, no one else won a game besides San Diego State again. So San Diego State, some, at least from the outside perspective, us over here on the East Coast, some think, okay, San Diego State carries this league. And maybe for here and there, there might be a team or two that, that wins a game, per se. Uh, meanwhile, you look down the list and you have a team like New Mexico, you have a team like Boise, and you, you have a team like Colorado State who are on right around that eight or nine line. Um, St. Mary's is a team this year. Played non-conference games. They lose against uh, Weber State. They lose against San Diego State. Uh, or excuse me, they lost to San Diego State. And they lost a game against Xavier. How is a team, I guess, for all intents and purposes, and I'm not here to suggest that you have to defend this wholeheartedly and be like, you, you know, you plant the flag in the ground and be <laughs> Mr. Mountain West. But how is it that they're easily in, yet you find teams that are on the bubble that have much, much better quality wins than they do? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a tough question to answer it wholeheartedly, and I'll do my best to do that. But I think the, the first answer is opportunities. How many opportunities does everybody get? And what kind of opportunities do they get? So, of course, if you're in the Big 12, the SEC, the Big 10, even the ACC could get a couple cracks at teams like Duke, North Carolina, Virginia, Clemson, who are all four pretty solid teams this season. Um, you're not really getting that in the Mountain West or even in uh, St. Mary's Gonzaga case this year, uh, usually they can at least go after each other at the top of the you know food chain. Now they're they're all kind of floating around bubble area. I would say out of all those teams, maybe only San Diego State can feel safe. They won at Gonzaga. They beat St. Mary's on a neutral court. They're mostly unbeatable at home, so that gets them some extra wins. They played a really tough road schedule. They're the first national runner-up I've ever seen play four true road games in the non-conference the following year. And they did that. They went to places like Grand Canyon and lost. And they went to North uh, UC San Diego, uh, one by one point there. Uh, that's a team, you know, people probably naturally don't know about, but they're second in the Big West, uh, not even eligible for the NCAA. So in general, <clears throat> we have this quad system. We've had it since 2019. The net got introduced that year. And the Mountain West teams have been very savvy, as well as St. Mary's and a lot of the WCC teams, on figuring out how to play each other. Look how many times they play each other, those two leagues, to at least just make their non-conference schedule somewhat meaningful. They won't get a team like Houston or Duke or Kansas to, to say yes. So the next best thing they can do schedule-wise is just to play each other a bunch of times. Now, 
Is that scheming the system to get more teams in? I don't know, but all they're doing is fighting for themselves the best way they know how. And at the end of the day, they end up with a handful of quad one opportunities when they have a strong non-conference year. And, and like you said, they do have six legitimately good teams. We don't know how good until, you know, they're ultimately judged in the tournament, which is still like a one game sample size, probably not right. the most fair, but that's the reason why it is working the way it is. If, if the system changed or the policies changed, their schedule would change. So everybody's strategic. Everybody wants to get to the NCAA tournament. And this is just what the Mountain West has to do. And, you know, now we're in a situation where, you might have to take all six because they are looking better than, you know, some of these teams like, you know, even Cincinnati and Xavier just have too many losses right now. Um, I don't think it's going to finish that way. There's going to be some other teams that emerge, like you said, with those big wins, like maybe a, a Pittsburgh or somebody like that. Uh, but as it stands today, like they're kind of the safe choice for the committee. Yeah, I mean, I understand the safe choice because, of you know, first of all, the appearance of the record, all right, in and of itself uh, looks relatively nice when there's 22 wins or there's 21 wins and there's only, you know, eight or nine losses. The only, the only pushback, yeah. though, that I, that I guess I was getting at was you look at a team like Boise and, you know, they, they have two big wins, I guess, if you want to call it that, VCU, and they beat St. Mary's. Again, uh, a St. Mary's team that, you know, ultimately lost – uh, to Xavier, but my point is they lost to Clemson, eighty-five to sixty-eight. They they lost to Virginia Tech, eighty-two seventy-five. They lost to Butler, seventy to fifty-six. These aren't even close games. They're not even competitive. Uh, they lose to Washington State. Now Colorado State, if we wanted to try to give some love to the Mountain West, uh, they have some good wins. I mean, they beat Wright State, they beat Creighton, they beat Colorado, they beat Washington. Um, so it's just like it's one of those things, though. Then when Boise goes and they find a way to beat Colorado State it's like it's a one game sample size but the, the, I guess my question is is are they really getting credit for maybe what Colorado State was able to do at a conference all right that's here nor there uh, last few questions as a whole looking at bracketology <laughs> when do you feel confident that you think that you got it is it is it one of those things where some people complain about how the the, the committee if you want to call it that and I put that in quotations they make their decisions ultimately on the seed line before the championship games. You've heard Coach Cal discuss this before when the SEC is playing on a Sunday. They win the SEC championship, and the next thing you know, their seed line isn't where they think it should be. When do you think, or do you think, they cut that seed line off before the actual, all of the tournaments are over from a conference perspective? So I've had the pleasure of serving on a mock selection committee the last handful of years. And um, this the last two years, we've done a much more organized uh, approach to it just from a, you know, uh, there's a little, we have a sponsor now, we have people tuning in and watching us. So this year we'll be doing that March 1st through 3rd, a few weekends away out of Omaha. And then the whole committee, our mock committee, we're all going to the Creighton-Marquette game that night on, on March 2nd. Um, but I, I bring that up because every single part of being in the mock committee is mimicked to do the exact steps of the actual committee. So there's no guessing game on how it works or what order it goes in. We have, you know, we have our initial, uh, you know, on the first night of meetings, which is uh, in real committee talk, that Wednesday night of championship week, they'll have their top 32 established and all voted on. And then everybody else goes into the at-large voting pile, which is kind of what you would consider the bubble, the nine seeds and below. Uh, and it's got a cluster of teams that won't get in. Um, so that that's much more deep detailed voting from there. Uh, and the seeding actually comes at the end. So once, uh, you know, results are coming in on Thursday, there might be a big upset. There might be somebody that was kind of 
torn. You could have some switches on the seed lines still on Thursday. And I think by Friday, they really start to start slotting the teams. And then by Friday night, they're building what's called contingency brackets in case on Saturday and Sunday there are bid steals. Um, so I think by Friday night, and this is this has been scooted forward, you know, year after year for the last handful of years, and we're now at a point where it's pretty much uh, almost done from a at-large perspective on Friday night. Um, so from that point forward, it does it does dilute those championship games a lot. If you know both teams are getting in, you might still see a great basketball game, but unfortunately, it's not going to usually impact their seed or their placement in the bracket. All right, fair enough. So, so there's a rightful there's rightful gripe if you want to call it that. But the reality is, is you're trying yes. to you're trying to put out a bracket within hours, if not less than an hour, uh, after some of these games complete. And it's fair from a committee perspective to say, listen, what do you want us to do? But at the same time, from a coach's perspective, you'd like to think that all the games count, especially if they matter from a seed line perspective. Uh, final question here, moving forward. Hopefully, we can have you back here in a couple weeks as the as the drama starts to intensify here. But uh, from your perspective, is there any team that you have either just outside the bubble or on the bubble that you think in your mind is a little better than everybody thinks that they are and they will find themselves to have a pretty good tournament run if they were to get in? Good question. You know, I think there's a couple. And I think the metrics actually kind of show this. Uh, if you look at Ken Palm and Torvik and those. So Wake Forest has a incredible offense um the problem for them is they can't win road games so they don't have a road resume really their best road win is at boston college uh they're one in five in their toughest road games but we've seen how wake looks when they hammer teams um and they have a different gear they just got to figure out of course some defensive uh issues they're always trying to clean up seems like with with forbes there it was forbes a good friend of mine I followed them closely at east tennessee state um so i do think they're pretty dangerous with their with all their weaponry on offense and then I also would say um, this New Mexico team, I know it's a Mountain West team. Uh, it, you know, Donovan Dent got hurt the other night. So, you know, hopefully his status is okay going forward for their sake. But I think when you have Donovan Dent, Jalen House, uh, Jamal Mashburn Jr., uh, JT Toppins, uh, one of the best freshmen in the country, they actually are very deep and loaded teams. That's why you're, that's why you're seeing them destroy people and being in the top 20-ish Ken Palm right now. Uh, but again, they don't have a road resume either. So these teams... You know, I don't know if they'll get in, but if they do, that you know, they're not a team you really want to face because they have NBA level players, and obviously that's a that matchup nightmare for a lot of teams. All right, all right, thank you, Rocco. We appreciate your time. I'll let you get back to it. Where are you at right now? Looks like you might be in a hotel. Are you on the road or what? What's the yeah, name? yeah, got a big week in Florida, so I just got to Boca Raton last night. I got the Florida Atlantic game against Temple tonight, and then I'll be off to Florida Florida State Saturday for Florida State Duke. And then um, Sunday, Florida Atlantic once again at South Florida, which would be for should be a first for first place uh, game with South Florida being in first. There you go. All right. Well, enjoy the season. I know this is probably the time, as I said, that uh, that you cherish the most, and you should. Nothing better than uh, than getting down towards Selection Sunday, watching all of the small conferences uh, get their automatic bids through Championship Week, and getting to the Selection Sunday and and being on the edge of your seat. And then obviously the tournament itself has produced uh, some some crazy results the last few years. So. Uh, we'll hopefully have you back here, like I said, as, as things get closer to the end. And uh, appreciate you uh, coming on and joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, fellas. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, man. Rocco. He is from uh, Bracketeer. Who you heard from him. Joe Lenardi set the scene. But the reality is that Joe Lenardi, uh, I don't want to say he's getting passed by, but 
There's a lot of other guys out there a lot more accurate than Joe. But Joe's been good. That's the crazy thing now. Is Everybody that, hates on Joe. Um, well, Joe's the easy target because he's on TV, right? Um, yeah. But here's the thing with Joe is that these things have gotten so uh, analytical per se, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but the, 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 it's so numbers driven that it takes out a lot of the eye test. And maybe you would argue that that's the way it should be. Uh, but it all comes down to Ken Palm, quad one games, what your net is, all of these different things, and then they just pencil these teams in. And that's why sometimes I just get a little frustrated because, you know, with all due respect, man, Boise, their biggest wins out of league, VCU, St. Mary's. Tournament team. By the way, St. Mary's, is same it? team. They lost to Xavier 66-49. St. Mary's is a tournament team. I, I don't give a damn. They lost. They lost to Xavier, sixty-six to forty-nine. At some point, you're out of league, and what you look like has to matter a little bit. Is what I'm getting at. I, I like Boise. They lost to Clemson, eighty-five to sixty-eight. They lost to Virginia Tech, eighty-two seventy-five. They lost to Butler, seventy to fifty-six. Who has Boise beat? outside of anybody in their league? I'll give you the answer. Nobody. All right, I Tough digress. I, I, think, I think it's one of those things where they have a couple good teams, and sure, maybe you, you knock a team off every so often in your league. But I... I St. Mary's beat NKU. That's a good game. One and three. Oh and one. Oh and one. Two and two. 0-2, 0-2, You know how hard it is to, to not win a game? And they had San Diego State again, the same team, the one team, San Diego State, San Diego State, San Diego State, all the credit in the world. They, 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 they're the one. I don't know. But again, you're getting real worked up about the Mountain West. Well, how many times are we going to let half the league in? They get, they're going to get six six teams in, and they're going to lead, you're going. I don't to, think they'll get six teams in. Okay, well maybe they will. To transition off this, uh, you got you got breaking news in the chat? No, we have no break. Well, unless you call the Sean Connor drama breaking news. No. I, don't I thought you I have confirmed it for sure. Well, no, I, I I think I think it I think he confirmed it, but. Again, okay. we can we can talk about it later. Debate that another at a, day. At a later date. Okay. Fair uh, enough. So I was gonna I was gonna talk about this a little bit today. Uh, the Reds. We didn't get to it yesterday, but Nick Crawl admitted this is a quote that they overlooked the impact of the workload on rookies on the rookies they called up. Minor leaguers get every Monday off. They arrived to Reds with to the Reds with stretches of 12, 15, 18 straight days with games. Uh, there was season wear down, which led to injury. I think that was. Something that Tom was kind of saying uh, the past couple months, where you're going to need some help, you're going to need you're going to need some depth because a lot of these guys maybe won't be on official innings limits, but certainly will be limited uh, in the innings that they pitch. And, and I, I think that'll be interesting to see how the Reds navigate that. They have the depth certainly to be able to do it. Uh, it's just going to be able to do do your best to try to keep everybody healthy. Uh, I thought that was interesting. India yesterday there was a quote. Uh, he said he is in a good spot with the Reds. Nick Kroll told him in the offseason, we're not we don't want to trade you. That's just talk. And I and that's what happened. They 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 avoided arbitration and now India's gonna be here uh, for three years. So congratulations to Jonathan Jonathan India. Uh, and finally, and this was a, a newsworthy quote 
Frankie Montas said yes. he's going to win 20 games by himself. Do you, you agree? seem to have a problem with that? I, I do don't. you agree with Frankie? Uh, <laughs> you're going to make me say that he's going to win 20 games. Yeah, well, well I don't said, know if he's well, he watched David it. Bell manage, but it's hard to win 20 games for the Reds based off the fact that, that you know you're you're the chances of you um, getting to the fifth inning and completing the fifth inning if you're throwing the ball, you know, unless you're throwing it relatively well at the beginning of the year, I don't think David Bell's going to extend these guys out all that much. So to win 20 games, you're going to throw the ball incredibly well. Um, but do you like the confidence of it? Of course I do. I think it's great. I think you're scoffing at it and laughing at well, it. Well, I'm not doing I that. Think, I think saying something like that and then going out there, and God forbid this actually happens, but he goes out there and he sucks and he's gone like Will Myers in a month. What's it matter then? Well, it's just like he just said he's going to win 20 games. Everybody, everybody's going to quote tweet that little article. You think they were going to take it easier on him if he got if he was terrible and got ran out of town? No, if but I, say, if he didn't say no, that, but there's more ammunition. There's more ammunition when you make a statement like that. When you said you're going to go out there and you're going to win 20 games, I like the confidence. I believe in Frankie Montas. Sounds I think, like you don't. I think it was a little silly, but I let's let's see if he can do it. Let's see if he can win 20 games at GABP. I have zero problem with Frankie Montas saying he's going to win 20 games confidently. And in fact, I I hope they all say that. Why not? Yes. <laughs> what if it fails? Then everybody's going to look at you, and they're going to look at those quotes. And they're going to say you're a joke. And then, and, and, so and, and the same the people that were, and the same people that were going to say you were a joke if you didn't throw the ball well, regardless, they're going to say you were a joke. Nothing changes. In fact, I think it's, I think if anything, you're just, you're giving yourself a great opportunity to slam dunk on the fact that you slam dunked on the Pakoda or whatever they were called. That's what this came from. There's a reporter that told Frankie Montaz that they were going to win based off the, the, the analytic projections of Pakoda. Pakota, whatever it's actually end up called, P-E-C-O-T-A, -E is that right? Yep. Um, and they said they're going to win 78 games. And Frankie laughed and said, I'm going to win 20 myself. I like that. I like it too. I'm a fan of that. I like it too. I hope it works. Uh, Mark Fetters wants to know, where do you think India is going to be playing? Left field. He's going to be in the outfield, Mark. Without, without a doubt. He has quite honestly... No spot. In fact, he's not even in the backup to be have a spot in the infield. That would be Noel V. Marte. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how he, he operates with this current situation. I think, he, I think he'd be good enough to play in left field. I don't think Spencer Steer is the best defender in the world. So, I think certainly he can at least replicate that defensively. And it, it'll be less pressure for him to throw the ball to first base. Throw it into the seats. So, I, I again, I... The Jonathan India slander, I've had about enough of it, and he's going to be a good utility player, and that will be his job. And I, there's nothing wrong with being a utility player. There's nothing wrong with having depth. Can we backtrack a little bit on this Jonathan India slander, and let's, let's, let's break it down slowly. All well, right, let's, let's talk about it. The, the reason I think there's some fans that got frustrated with Jonathan India is because he – some of it's not his fault. Some of it is the perception of a fan base that is that is big fans of Jonathan, right? And they want to they say, well, you can't get rid of Jonathan. He's the leader, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they're going to take exception to that because you can't quantify the leadership part of it, okay? Second part of this is that defensively, he's been relatively poor based off the defensive metrics. And I'm trying to keep this even Steven right now. No, even I'm not, Steven. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to take a side, right? I'm just saying defensively from a metric standpoint, he was pretty, pretty inferior to the rest of the league. Horrible. So – there in and of itself, people are frustrated that that's the second baseman. He then comes out and he states that he is a second baseman and he, does, he doesn't want to move. 
So then you have a fan base. You have a portion of the fan base that believes that he does that he does need to move and that he can't play second base. And they're upset because they have to hear about how this guy's a leader, but he doesn't want to move. Those are kind of oxymoronic, right? You would sure. theoretically think that if you're a team guy, you would do what Spencer Steer did, which is move wherever you want in the diamond. Now, to be fair to Jonathan India, I don't know whether or not that actually was more played out than it truly was. Maybe I mean, he did was. say, maybe, what? I think it absolutely was more played out. Okay. Then maybe. Just the same way Frankie Montes believes he's going to say that he's going to win 20 games this year, Jonathan India is not going to say, yeah, I suck at second. I guess I'll move to left field. He's no, going to say you can play that's the position. Where, that's where I think that we diff, that we have differing opinions of this because ultimately I think you could say, listen, I believe I can play second base, but I'm also, I also love this franchise. I'm willing to play wherever, the, wherever I need to play to make this team the most successful, no matter what. If he said that, if he said that, I don't think there's one – I don't want to say one. There's not many people that would be frustrated with India and the way that he handled that. And you know what? What I was getting at was I don't know if that's actually how he handled it or if that's just the way the media portrayed it, to be fair to Jonathan. Jonathan might have never really said, I'm not moving from second base. It's just the quotes that we got in the newspaper and some of the things that we heard. It made it seem like Jonathan India was not willing to move or did not want to move because he felt like he was a second baseman. And then that turned into speculation. Because then now we felt, and I say we felt, but we felt that this guy, as a fan base, okay, now he doesn't want to move, probably because of a monetary reason, because you can get paid if you're a, if you're a second baseman and you're a good, a good or average player at second base, you get paid a lot more money than a guy that is going to be in left field that is what we would call, I don't want to call it light hitting, but an average hitting left fielder. Right, so That's, all of that combined, and when you swirl that swirl that recipe around, you get the perceptions that have come with Jonathan India. So then, when that happens, you hear about the trade rumors because you just assume that Jonathan doesn't want to move. Well, if he doesn't want to move, then there's not a spot. Now it seems like maybe the maybe the conversation has shifted because Jonathan didn't believe that these young guys were as good as they were, which is fair. Jonathan Indy was a rookie of the year. He was playing second base for this franchise. Next thing you know, he heard these rumblings about these young kids. And I'll tell you, right now, as a 100% fact, as a competitor, Jonathan India heard the rumblings of these young guys and thought to himself, okay, well, let's see him come up here and do it. Because I've done it up here. I'd like to see these guys do it. And you know what? To a certain extent, he's right. They were unproven, and they were getting put on a pedestal that seemed like they should take his spot. So at the end of all of it, what you have is you have guys that came up last year that played relatively well, and now maybe, just maybe throughout this offseason or after the fact, Jonathan is in a spot where he'd rather play left field than move from this franchise. That's kind of my, that's my best rendition of trying to go through the start of all of this to the end of it and where we're at now. If Jonathan India wants to play left field and works hard at trying to be a decent average left fielder and he can perform out there defensively, even average or a little bit below average, there's a spot for him on this team. I agree. I, and, and I hope he can get past that of the, the, the hatred of the Evan Mowers of the world that come on and want to ship him to Siberia. But I, I'll say this, Jonathan India is still my guy. Uh, and obviously he's the leader of this team because he's doing exactly what he said that, or exactly what fans thought he wouldn't do. And that's move to the, move to the outfield. Uh, Mark says, uh, moving an inferior infielder to the outfield is not a good move. Uh, it's just part of the game. I think it's a utility thing. If he's as bad in the outfield as he is at second base, 
then we'll have a talk. I have a hard time believing that's going to be the case, uh, but I certainly could be wrong on that and on that front too. If, if he's if he's the world's worst left fielder, which is hard to do, um, then I guess we'll have a, then I'll have to admit that maybe he's maybe he's not the guy. But I don't think that's the case. I think he produces enough at the plate. Uh, hopefully, hits into less double plays this year, uh, and he becomes at least uh, a serviceable utility guy. Paul Yanish asks. Uh, Jim brings up a good point too. Yeah, not exactly what I was thinking, but it brings up the a thought that I have, which is is that you know Jonathan India is serviceable from a time to time spot in the infield. Similar, similar to Spencer Steer. Like if 100%. you if if you need a random day game for him to play second base, then yeah, by all means. You just can't have him playing a hundred games at second base. That's right. So that's what this all comes down to. Um, but to revert back to the point. Before with the Reds, I don't have a problem with any of these guys being overly confident. In fact, I think that's part of the reason they had success last year. They were a bunch of young cats that were a little naive, if we're being honest. I think they were a little naive. They came up, they thought they were damn good, and boy, did they they play to their they they played to what their belief system allowed them to play to. That's right. And maybe they are that talented. And maybe they are perhaps damn good players where they'll ultimately end up most of them being all stars. Odds are saying that that's not going to be the case. But again, as I said before, I talk somewhat about what, it, what, the, what does this team look like if they are the average or, or a little bit below what they are capable of being throughout this entire team and how it could ultimately be a disappointment. But the opposite can also be true. And that is that these guys are actually pretty damn good. And these guys are only going to get better. And if they only get better, then there are there, then there's going to be a plethora amount of all-stars. I don't know if many people take into account how good Will Benson was last year when he came back. Will Benson was one of the best outfielders in all of baseball last year over a two-month stretch. Now, again, that's two months. So, of course, if we can cherry-pick people's stats throughout Major League Baseball history, I'm sure we could find Hall of Famers all over the place. Aristides Aquino, you know, God love him. <laughs> He's a perfect example. He had a hell of an arm. But my point is, is that, you know, we'll see. We'll find out. We'll find um, out. And I do think Jonathan India has a spot on this team. Okay? I don't think anybody, anybody that has, you know, a level-headed brain or just isn't on one side of the aisle, no matter what. And you have that. We have... You, who have developed a fanboy for him because you felt like he's been treated unfairly. Correct. And I think that that's the case for some fans. So they're going to go above and beyond and root for him no matter what. And then you're going to have the opposite side who thinks he should get traded no matter what. And I would say both of those ventures aren't the best place to be. There's a spot for him if he's willing to take it and he can perform in left field. Because um, inevitably... Between Spencer, Will Benson, Jake Fraley, I would venture to say one of those three probably isn't going to be the best version that we'd like them to be. I agree. So, we'll all right. Um, I I do have a we a call in case. What's the call in number? The call in number is eight eight eight. That's three eights. That's right. Five one three two two six nine. The call in number is eight 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 five one three. Two two six nine. 
The door is open for any of you to call in. As long as you uh, call in, you'll, you'll be put in the wait list. There's no um, special directions afterwards like we had last time. This is a whole new system. It's just as simple as calling in that number and you just uh, wait your turn. So, um, yeah, if you all have any questions for us about any topics we discussed today or anything else that you might want to talk about, give us a call. So we can. We well, got uh, it. I've, well, I've got a couple things from yesterday, if that's okay, if Please. I can get it. Uh, so, uh, Casey, I, I sent you some of this stuff. I, we got a caller? Yep, we got a caller. Okay. Just give me a, give me a second. Give me a second while. Uh, what were you going to say, Elliot? Well, there's a couple, there was a couple funny things that happened. Not Maybe not funny, but uh, Detroit Mercy. They had not won a game all season long. 0-26. Yes. They were five-and-a-half-point favorites over Uwe Pui. Well, that, that, should have been, that should have been a bright sign right there. Yeah, well, Why I didn't took, we know that? I, I took Uwe Pui. What? Okay, wait a minute. Because I bet on it. I bet on it. Time out. I bet on it. Time out. Let's talk I, about this. I knew how bad... Trace. You mean to tell me, Elliot, that you decided that you were going to bet on a team that was playing a team that hasn't won a game all year, and they were getting five points... And that wasn't a red flag to you. It wasn't a red flag. You're like, it, wow, a team hasn't won all flag, year. But it was a red flag. But then you think about Trace, how many wins that team has that's getting five or giving five and a half points. They hadn't won. Maybe if they won the game outright and didn't cover, but I believe that Uwe Pui, a six win Uwe Pui team, could beat a zero win Detroit Mercy club. And, and unfortunately I was wrong. But anyway, the story of the game was at the end when they had their big court storming. Did you see this? No, I can't say that I seen this last night. Let's see what let's see what what, what did it look Cherry like. Cherry on top. <laughs> so here we go. Clock's ticking down, and you're about to see it's a you, as you can see it's a packed crowd. Everybody got really upset when UC stormed the court. This storming of the court is the greatest storm of all time. Look at this, Trace. You gotta look at this. I'm watching. Here he comes. Alright, here we go. And, oh, who's going to do it? I don't we got see one. Storm. We got one. <laughs> <laughs> and that is their court storming. That is just hold the I mean that that is absolutely preposterous. They had no fans there. It looked like some of those kids were courtside for some reason. A capacity rushed the court. Capacity. What's the what's the problem? Look at that. Just one guy. One guy in that state, one brave soul. You know, that, as much storm. as as much as that is as much as that is interesting, I, I again I don't want to spend too much time on this. I got to get back to it. You looked at the line yesterday, yeah, and you seen that there was a team that hasn't won a game all year long, and they were giving five and a half points. Correct. That's a decent amount, by the way. It is. And your brain thought to yourself, you know what? I'm smarter than Vegas. I'm going to take the team that's actually won a handful of games this year over the team that hasn't won, and I'm going to get five points. It was such a preposterous bet, or it's a preposterous line that I had to bet with the team with six wins over the team with zero. Sean Connor saying, no, you won't, Zebra. Uh, thank you, Sean. Um, but I, I, I – what was that? Nothing. Okay. I, I was just going to say, listen, when you are in my brain – and you're looking at a team that hasn't won, and they are six-point favorites, you have to take the other side. You have to. I, I don't, don't think you do. That's not how it works. You don't have to do that. Uh, other, other news to notes. You said you had uh, – I, I did have one more. All right. What else did you have? I, this was on Twitter as well, Casey. Uh, this is some NBA news. I know we don't talk about the NBA on this show a ton because not a ton of people care, respectfully, during the regular season. Um, but Detroit Pistons center, uh, Isaiah Stewart, 
he punched Phoenix's Drew Eubanks in the back, uh, in the back tunnels of Suns Arena today. It was that was yesterday. It's unclear what sparked the altercation. The NBA is expected to receive footage and review it, but he it is confirmed that Isaiah Stewart, the center for the Pistons, assaulted Drew Eubanks and was issued a citation and released by the police. This was an NBA game, right before an NBA game. Punched a guy in the punched a guy in the looks like maybe in the face. I don't know where he punched him, uh, but then was arrested. I think I think that's preposterous. Almost that's almost as bad as the Tommy Pham slap. Remember that? You think so? The Tommy Pham uh, Jock Peterson slap over fantasy football. That was probably his best Reds moment. Tommy Pham when he pre pregame slapped a guy in the head for no reason. Uh, no reason would be a little a little bit of a a little bit of a I think it's slight to Tommy. Tommy said that you know they were they were in a uh, fantasy football league together and. Um, he was getting talked as to quote him directly, recklessly too, and he didn't want to be disrespect, disrespected like that. So I he guess. went and just slapped a man. Is that the craziest red story of all time? The Tommy Fam slapping. You uh, think that one defeats Pete Rose? Well, I guess if you want to go, I'm talking about recently, and we're not talking about that. But I, other than Pete Rose, is there a, is there another moment in the past, let's say 15 years, that rivals? One of our players slapping an opponent's players because of fantasy football. And I don't think there is. Do you think that it's uh, – who do you look lesser down upon? Uh, do you look lesser down upon Tommy Fan for smacking him or Jock Peterson for just taking it, not doing anything about it? That's a good question. Probably Jock Peterson. What happens there? Jock Peterson. Jock gets smacked and he just stands there in shock and doesn't do anything? Well, he probably if he retaliates, we got what we got. We got suspensions left and right. But I, I do agree with you. Having Jock Peterson stand there like a weirdo after getting slapped by a grown man is tough. I mean, it was a slap. It wasn't a punch. He slapped him. Tommy Pham, what a cat, though. Um, yeah, Nick, that's I, certainly I, one. I that's, got one thing for us. Yeah, you got. Uh, I'm not going to say what it is first. I just want your genuine reactions to it. How about that? So we're going to watch this. We're going to watch this. Okay, thing. let's watch this. Got something special for y'all. Little update for our fans from the big house to the bayou. From Carolina is this to California. Just, just yeah, it's this about college happened. football. This just happened. We know you love it. This Us too. The rivalries, comebacks. The traditions and superstitions built by generations. There's nothing like it. Turns out, we've been building too. You know so let's address the big owl in the room. Please. Yeah, we've seen the posts, the predictions, the doubts. We get it. It's been a minute. Let's just say, this ain't the only jersey we've been working on. game this sport deserves because pretty soon this place will be full again I need to, I need a date until then cue the crowd noise okay 
Okay, so we didn't get a date, but we got we got we got a season. We got May. Got May. We got May. May. Full reveal May. I don't know what that means, but that it, means they're gonna give us an exact date, maybe. Whatever, man. I've been waiting on this game for a long time. Um, probably my favorite my favorite video game of all time is, is college football, without question. And on top of that, nothing better than Dynasty mode. <laughs> There's not. Nothing better than Dynasty mode. Um, one quick point here uh, before we get to uh, some calls is this. We will do, and I will figure out how we're going to go about doing it, but I would like to try to create um, – kind of another branch of what we do here at Chatterbox called Chatterbox Competes or Seabox Competes, something along those lines. Working on a golf tournament as we speak right now. Uh, just met with a course yesterday. And then on top of that, uh, if this game comes out, yeah, I want to have the best dynasty league that there ever existed. <laughs> I, I would like for there to, I don't care how many users we get, but we basically, we, we, we get to where we can live stream the games, yes, that, that, that play each other. But more importantly, we have like a really official organized dynasty NCAA game. It's been 10 years since the last college football video game. Uh, obviously, I'm very excited. I hope they don't Maddenify it. And what I mean by that is Madden is kind of like taking away some of the magic that like the, the early 2010s maybe that those Maddens had. I think it's worse now than it was. I hope college football doesn't copy that. I hope, I hope they give me almost a direct – replicate of the 2014 college football game yes that's what i want uh, by whatever i don't know what you mean totally by what you said about madden magnifying it is this is i just don't want it to be too complicated like I don't, yeah, I want, let's just like not I make want, it too complicated i don't want six different game modes i don't want simulation competitive not all this weird thing i don't yeah. want like the throw accuracy bar i don't want all i just want to hit a have my receiver be open downfield that's what i want that all was right. how great the last game was dummy it down all dummy right casey we got a call Yes, we got a call. All right. All right. Caller, uh, what's your name? Maybe where you're calling from? I think many people in the chat right now are praying to God that it's Sean Connor. I don't know if that's the case, but if it is, this will be one one hell of a day. I, I hate to disappoint. My name's Drew Garrison. I'm calling from Miamiburg, Ohio. <laughs> um, Long-time listener. Um, it, really, I just want to make statements. Um, it seems Go like ahead. every college basketball program that anybody cares about in Ohio is reeling and falling apart besides the mighty Dayton Flyers. I know you guys don't really cover anything north of Hamilton, but the Flyers are a wagon. And my second statement, uh, you don't have to respond. I just want to say how proud I am to see Elliot at the adults' table now. Um, it started with a video from the zoo, and just look at the guy go. It's just beautiful. Wow. Thank you, Drew. I love you, Drew. I love you more than you know. And, and Drew and I are going to play golf at some point soon. So This is happening. So you'll have to, you'll have to see you that. You guys have a phenomenal day. Drew, you have a better day, and yeah. thank you for staying on hold for that long period of time there. That seemed like a long time. <laughs> I'm a dedicated individual, um, and any I, chance I get to compliment you, I'll wait it out. Th thank you, Drew. Uh, Drew, Godspeed. Love you. We'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. Fair enough. From the zoo to here. How about that? Yeah. Mama, I made it. You feel uh, Dayton, Dayton is pretty damn good, though. Dayton is, Dayton is good. Well, they're, they are good. They had a yeah. bad loss to VC. They have a damn good fan base, too. Uh, that's still the one of the great. They lost to Richmond. They lost to VCU. They've had a couple bad losses, but um, yeah, dude, Dayton, Dayton's going to be good, and it's good to see them back. They they were absolutely robbed in 2020 uh, when ain't no stopping Ob Toppin. That's right. Took took the NCAA by storm, uh, and I think they were a one seed that year, right? I think they were a one seed. Yeah, they were going to be. They were going to be. Were, they, they were, were that be a one good. Seed. They didn't get to compete because of COVID. Uh, this year, it seems like 
they have a chance to not be that good, but they, they seem to be able to make some noise in the tournament. They're 16th, they're 16th ranked uh, in the nation right now. So, yeah, Dayton's, Dayton's damn good. Yeah, they get drawn Holmes. Holmes is a uh, – I was thinking the other day, like, wow, you know, Dayton's one of those programs where they must have done a really good job recruiting some lower level – and I say lower level, but like three, maybe borderline four-star player uh, – four-star players to get into that program, and then they, they've developed them. Turns out I was completely wrong. Deron Holmes was a guy that, that had offers to a ton of different programs, big-time programs, and some Dayton landed him. So yeah. uh, kudos to Anthony Grant for that. And uh, Grant, it's a funny thing, man. College basketball fandom in itself, in itself is so funny and it's so fickle that, you know, not that long ago, hell, just maybe last year, uh, everybody wanted Anthony Grant, you know, pretty much out of town. And I say everybody in a little bit of a, of a, of a quotations mark because we all know that maybe – the uh, the loudest is 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 the is the minority, but um, feels similar maybe to kind of West right now. There's people that are frustrated with West, and you know I I still believe in West. I think that he's going to turn it around. Uh, kudos to kudos to Dayton though. They came down to uh, fifth third. Well, not fifth third. Excuse me. They came down to Heritage Bank, um, but they did come into Cincinnati. They beat a really good Cincinnati team. If you want to call it that, at the time it felt like Cincinnati was starting to try to get them sells back in uh, back on track we'll find out uh we'll have Rocco probably back here towards the uh towards the end of the season here to see what his thoughts are on the chances of UC and or Xavier if they can make a run uh their chances to get in what NKU's a probability are to win their league um they're in a mix to where they're in a one bid league is what it is crazy thing to to play in a league that you genuinely unless you have the most unbelievable season of all time in that in that school's history you have to win the tournament at the end of the year or it doesn't really matter what you did before. Um, go ahead. I have uh, slightly breaking news that might uh, pertain to us a little bit in the discussion of T. Higgins. Okay. Monroe St. Brown and the Lions are in discussion currently right now for a contact, contract extension, three-year deal, $25 million per year. Hmm. Receiver position just keeps getting more and more expensive. Is there any position that doesn't get more expensive at this point? Uh, what position? Uh, you know, let's play a fun little game. We're gonna end the show. Punter. Fun little game. We're gonna end the show. Punter doesn't get most. Imp- yeah, most important position that doesn't get paid what they're actually worth. Center. That that's my number one center. Uh, I, I mean, safeties maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a Bengals fan, that probably should have been the number one answer. I mean, safety. Safeties, I would say, are undervalued by a lot of teams. The running back position certainly is is topic A. Especially tight ends. Tight ends is another one. Um, I would, yeah, I would say I, still I would, haven't said the one that I was thinking, which is probably which is what people aren't going to like it, but I think kickers. Yeah, kickers. I feel like if you have an elite kicker, oh yeah, it's like just significantly. A huge advantage. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, it's like you could pay them. Now I know they don't. Get, they, the reason they don't get paid is because ultimately that that market's not been set and the standard hasn't been set. Similar to how in the NFL, guaranteed contracts weren't really something that anybody got because the the league and the owners or whatever you want to call it, they just didn't accept it. it wasn't going to happen. Nobody was going to get that opportunity. And then all of a sudden. Lo and behold, the people of all peoples, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, the one that really shook the world that got the landscape rolling was Deshaun Watson, of all things, in the Browns. A guaranteed contract for that amount of money. You want to know how much the highest paid kicker got paid last year? Has to be Tucker, right? It was not Tucker. 
What? I was surprised when I looked up this list. Who was it? Matt Gay, the Colts kicker, was paid $9.1 million last year. He signed a, a deal last year for four years, $22.5 million. Justin Tucker got paid $7 million. What's Harrison Bucker doing? $3.7 million. McPherson. He is, he is the 10th highest paid kicker. And, and McPherson, McPherson still got the rookie deal, so he's got – He's got what eight hundred k? Probably something <laughs> That's close. So to that. bad. What's uh? What's, I mean, what's Packers guy it, getting eight hundred k too? He ought to get nothing. Uh, McPherson, you can make the case that he is one of the most important, if not the most important. Here we go. Player. I'm. I'm not. Listen, Here we I'm go. Not Here we go. Why is this a hate? How is this a hate? It's not. I'm a just hate. genuinely saying that kid has been nails. It doesn't start. It doesn't start as hate, but it oh. gets the hate when you say he's no, the only doesn't. reason. Is he, when you say, See, when you guys say, are spinning my words. You'll love you're this. spinning my words. You're spinning my words. All I'm trying to do is give your kicker the. Maybe you could argue one of the best kickers, if not the best kicker in the game. And I know that people are going to get mad at me for saying that. Yeah. That kid has not missed a big kick yet, that I've paid attention to. Packers game, he missed a couple. But yeah, I. So, okay, amid, amid, you know, middle of the season. Okay, you just said the Packers game, he missed a couple, which was. Or which not, was what's a middle of the regular is season. Is a game winning kick not a big kick? I'm thinking kicks in late, late. So you're just late. only thinking postseason, which means that one year, two years. So just to. Only one year? Just to add a little nugget to this, Andres Carlson made more money than Evan McPherson Damn. last year. That's he, has a, he has a bigger contract than Evan McPherson. Damn. Damn, damn, damn. That's tough. And he won't have a job next year. That's tough. That is tough. I, I'm not here to try to start a riot. Jake Elliott. <laughs> All I'm trying Elliott to do is say that you guys have an unbelievable kicker. He's a damn good kicker. Jake Elliott makes 20. Well, he made. He had a contract for $20 million. He made $4 million. Okay. Jake Elliott's good. Another Jake Bengals Elliott's kicker. Jake Elliott's good. All right. Yeah. That's it. I, All oh, right. I have one more. I have one last thing, Casey. I sent this to you. I, this is a tweet, so Casey's gonna have to uh, show Twitter on the little thing there. Um, but they had they, a, a, pull, a, a, a a metric came out. Trace. This is the last thing. This will be the alternate cherry on top. A metric came out that discussed the the total weight of every current MLB starting rotation, the heaviest to the least heaviest. The least heaviest team, the Oakland Athletics. Their entire starting rotation only weighs 980 pounds. And in first place with the heaviest rotation in baseball, the Cincinnati Reds, 1,137 pounds. Your initial thoughts? I think it's a little slanderous to the Reds. They don't really have that many slander. guys. They don't. They don't have that many guys that are that are that are overweight. They got some. They got some stockier guys, but they're big. Hunter Green's Brandon Williamson's tall. Hunter They're Green's all, put together. Hunter Green's like 240. Hey, man. that's I, I, Let's take pride in that. Let's take pride in that. If we had to meet if we had to meet any other starting rotation in the A-gap in the MLB, we would win. Let me, let me ask you that. <laughs> You're right. Uh, let me ask you this. If you had to say, let's say, again, this season, again, we don't want this to happen. I'm not saying it will happen. But let's say the injuries keep piling up and we're the most injured starting rotation in baseball. Do you think us being the heaviest starting <laughs> rotation would have anything to do with that? Do you think that would correlate? 
Um, I mean, one would argue that the more weight, the tougher it is on the joints. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, but yeah, let's go Reds. I, I, I think we'll end it on that. The Reds are great. They're going to be yeah. good. We got some heavy pitchers, but we're going to be good. Fair enough. All right, we'll be back uh, better than ever tomorrow from 10A to 12P. And until then, you will also get tomorrow box lunch. And also possibly maybe, um, I, I, we got to confirm this. I'm pretty sure it's, a, it's the case. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely confirm it tomorrow at the beginning of the show if it is. Um, we will have a, uh, an interview uh, that Tom Brennan will do with uh, somebody that we will tease tomorrow. And we should have the, interv- the, the tennis match will be done at some point tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> we're still working on that. It, it will 100%. It should be done. It should it, be it's going to be done today. It should be done today. It'll be uh, done today. I don't know if it'll. We'll it'll premiere tomorrow probably yeah. at some point. So After tennis Tom's. video tomorrow. If you want to see that again, you have to be a member. Thank you to all the members. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you to everybody that watches the show, continues to watch the show. Thank you to the people that love the show, and thanks to the people that hate it. Even if you love it, even if you hate it, if you watch, I love you. All right. Till tomorrow. Take care, everybody.